turn with me to John chapter 1 again tonight. We'll start getting the Bibles broke in here on opening up to John. <laughs> well, you know it, it'll be falling open there. I read about a, I can't remember his name. Um, read about a Puritan preacher that spent, I believe it was 38 years preaching through the book of Hebrews. And <laughs> that's probably the only place their Bible would open. Um, all right. Let's, um, we're going to pray again, and then uh, I want to return to the prologue here, verses 1 through 18. And let's pray. Um, my understanding is basically the same. Um, Ronnie was just telling me they were supposed to make, he had just heard they were supposed to make some adjustment to the ventilator, but he, couldn't, he, he did not know if it was up or down. Uh, my guess is it was down. They're probably trying to see if his, uh, usually they'll do that. You know, they'll start to turn them down to see if their body takes over. Makes up, takes up the slack, but, uh, but he didn't know for sure, so. But we were up there a little while ago, and, and, uh, Donna was saying that basically he's stayed the same today, which is, I, I think, a positive thing, you know, so, uh, to, to, to be in that serious of condition and yet to stay stable, um, you know, I think is, is, is good. Real good. So, but yeah, just keep praying for him. You know, the, the doctors told her, that um, it, it's an hour by hour thing. It 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 can change, you know, in an instant. So um, let's just remember him in prayer. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we do come again in the name of Jesus, Lord. We do pray for Mike, Donna, Megan. We lift up the whole family to you, uh, Lord. Just praying, thanking you, Lord, um, for your care and praying that they know your presence and strength and find your grace to be sufficient in this difficult time. We do pray for Mike and ask of you, Lord, uh, that you make his body do what it needs to do. Strengthen his heart, we pray, and lungs um, so that they function properly uh, and so that um, he has strength to recover. And we do ask for that. Lord, we pray for your guidance here. Please direct um, this study. I ask that you give me the words to speak. And Lord, I ask that you open all of our ears to hear. Lord, we need your truth. That's what sanctifies us. Lord, we need, um, we need change in our lives. So we pray, grant by Your grace, that Your truth may have positive effect in our hearts as we are by it conformed to the image of Christ. And again, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, I'm going to read the, the prologue again. and Like I say, basically what we did this morning... Of course, if you're here, you recall, but we, uh, we basically talked about verses 1 through 3 and then um, tied that in with verse 14 and, and verse 18 um, to kind of capture the, the, the main thought. That's really what I was after there, was kind of capture the main thought of the prologue, and then we can come back and, and, uh, and look at um, the rest of it, kind of fill in the gaps. But what, what John is doing, what we mean by prologue, John is, is, gives a little discourse here in verses 1 through 18, setting the stage for the story, the narrative that he's about to tell. And um, he introduces in these first 18 verses some themes, and I'm going to give you some references here uh, in just a few minutes after we read, just a list of references so that you can kind of see that uh, he's introducing themes here that he's going to pick up later, um, themes that were introduced in Jesus' teaching. So I'll read first. In verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. 
All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried out, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after Me ranks before Me, because He was before Me. For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known. Amen. Okay, um, as I said, I want to give you some references here just to kind of show some of the themes that are going to be important as we, as we walk through uh, the gospel. And I'm, 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 I mean, of course, you can follow it out. You can check the references. But I'm getting this list from um, a commentary by D.A. Carson here um, where he just lists them out for us. And it is as follows. There's several here. I don't know how many several. First, the preexistence of the Lagos, or Son. And that, of course, you see in verses 1 and 2 here in the prologue. And then um, chapter 17, I'm going to read a couple of these. I may not do them all, but chapter 17, verse 5, where Jesus says, since I get here, and now, and this is in his prayer to the, to the Father, what we call his high priestly prayer, John 17, 5. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. So you see that, that same truth brought out again in John 17, 5. The preexistence of the Lagos, our Son. That is the eternal Son of God. Okay, the next one. In Him was life. Verse 4, of course, uh, here in the prologue. Um, and you can think of a couple other spots. One is... Uh, John 5:26, another one, uh, John 14:6, where Jesus says, "I am the life." But here in John 5:26, for as the Father has life in Himself, so He has granted the Son also to have life in Himself. So in Him was life. Next, life is light. Again, verse 4, here in the prologue, you see, um, in Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the way that's structured in the Greek, it makes those interchangeable. The life was the light. So in other words, you could turn that around, the light was the life. Just, just meaning it's, the way that it's structured, just meaning there's... Um, there's equality there, the sameness. One is the same as the other. The life was the light. Okay, also that you'll find that theme, for example, in later in uh, chapter 8, verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. 
In him was life. The life was the light. You follow him. You have the light of life. Okay, next is light rejected by darkness. Here in the prologue in verse 5, the light shines in darkness, and the darkness had not overcome it. So this is one way John uh, contrasts good and evil, uh, you know, light and darkness. So uh, he says the light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Uh, We'll see that again later um, in chapter 3, verse 19, for example. Chapter 3, verse 19. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people who loved the dark, people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Okay. Um, light rejected darkness, yet not quenched by it. So again, verse 5, um, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Uh, you see that again in chapter 12, same thought, uh, chapter 12, verse 35. Chapter 12, verse 35. So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. And that's the idea here. You know, some uh, translations will say comprehend. It make um, the, the word can mean that. I mean, that's why that's translated that way. Uh, but, um, and I'm talking about verse 5 here in the prologue, chapter 1, verse 5. But um, in this context, it's, it's the idea of, uh, of overcoming. And you, and you see that. Uh, in 12.35. The one who walks in the darkness does... uh, I'm sorry. So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake overtake you. And that's what John is saying in verse 1. The darkness does not overtake the light. Chapter 1, verse 5, rather. Okay, um, next is light coming into the world. Chapter one, verse nine. So that's that's the, where he's that concept is introduced in the prologue. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. That is, the true light was coming into the world. And then you see that um, theme again in chapter three, nineteen, which we read a moment ago. Chapter three, nineteen, and this is the judgment: the light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than light. And you can see again by comparison, because some of the, tra- the way some of the translations read in, in verse 9 of chapter 1, it sounds like it's saying that it's applying it to people who come into the world. Um, but it's talking about the light that comes into the world. That is Jesus. Jesus is the one coming into the world. And, uh, and again, like I say, if you, you, you compare that here, you can, you can see that more plainly in chapter 3, 19. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Also, 1246. We're going to give your Gospel of John pages a good workout here. Chapter 12, verse 46. I have come into the world as light. And again, see, it's Jesus who has come. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Uh, next, Christ not received by his own, rejected by his own. So in the prologue, that's verse 11, came into his own, they did not receive him. Um, and then later, chapter 4, verse 44 For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. He came to his own, but his own did not receive him. Of course, talking about the Jews in the prologue. Okay, next, uh, being born to God and not of flesh. In the prologue, that's verse 13. 
who who were born of God, that is, children of God, those who have been given the, the authority to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Well, of course, you see that in chapter 3, for example, verse 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And chapter 8, verse 41. You are doing the works of your father. You are doing the works of your father, your father did. They said to him, We were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. And the next is seeing his glory. Talked about that this morning in the prologue, that's verse fourteen. The word was made flesh, dwelt among us, tabernacled among us, we beheld his glory. And also you see that um, later in 1241. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. That, that by the way, is, is, is an exciting passage. Um, this, the NIV, um, when it translates that, says um, that Isaiah saw Jesus' glory. Um, that's... that's um, that's an interpretation <laughs> rather than a translation, but, um, but I think it's right. Um, in, in other words, what, what John is saying here in verse 41, and Lord willing, we'll, you know, we'll deal with this when we get there, we get to chapter 12, but he's referring to Isaiah 6. Remember in Isaiah 6 when Isaiah had the vision, he said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple and, he, and John saw the heavenly beings crying, Holy, Holy, Holy. He saw the glory of the Lord, right? Well, what John is saying is, what Isaiah saw was Jesus. The Lord, the pre-incarnate Christ. And that's why uh, the NIV puts there um, that he saw G- Jesus. Um, the SV words it this way, Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Amazing thing. He spoke. Isaiah spoke of Jesus. That's what he saw in Isaiah 6. That's who he saw. All right, so the next one. um, The one and only Son. Again, in the prologue, that's verse 14. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld it, and we have seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father. Um... Also, verse 18. And then later, in chapter 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. Next is truth in Jesus Christ. In the prologue, verse 17. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And then later, we, we see that, right, in, in uh, 14.6. What does Jesus say in John 14.6? I am the way, the truth, right, and the life. Uh, and then also, the last one here, no one has seen God except the one who comes from God's side. In the prologue, that's verse 18, no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. You see that again? Uh, that concept again in chapter 6, verse 46. Not that anyone has seen the Father except He who is from God. He has seen the Father. Okay, so that's just, um, I think, helpful just to kind of uh, show us what, what John is doing here. He's introducing themes that he will uh, bring up again. So these, these will be things for us to watch for. They're, they're uh, important in John's account. And there are other things you could mention, you know, like, like uh, what we're going to see tonight, the, term, the idea of 
witness or testifying. That's, that's going to be another thing. And then, of course, belief is, is a major theme in, in the Gospel of John. He's always talking about the idea of believing on Jesus. You must believe on Jesus. You must trust Him. You must have faith in Jesus. All right, so let's go back. This morning we, we essentially covered uh, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So He was, that is, the eternal Word was in the beginning already when everything else became. He was already face-to-face with God and He was God. Or, as I said this morning, literally it's God was the Word. So he's, he's, it's a way of saying He Himself is divine. And He was in the beginning. He reiterates He was in the beginning face-to-face with God, verse 2. Then He speaks of creation because that's the beginning that He's talking about. In verse 3, He says, All things were made through Him. That is, Jesus, the Word, the eternal Word, the eternal Son of God was the agent of creation. You say, well, what exactly that, does that mean? How does that play out? Well, I won't take time to go back and go through there, but go back and read the Genesis 1 account. How did God bring things into existence? Spoken Word. Through speaking. What we call fiat. Divine fiat. A, a decree. For example... Light be. It's literally how it's worded. Light be. And there was light. I mean, He just spoke it into existence. He created through His Word. Alright, so all things were made, or literally that verb, and I'm going to try to point this out as we go through here too, if I, some of the points I may forget because it's, it's used repeatedly. But, but I, I, I think this contrast is helpful when we think about the eternality of Jesus Christ. So there's that verb again. All things were made. Literally, that's became, or they came to be. They came into being. And it's, it's that same verb I was talking about this morning. And, and the reason that's important is because of the contrast. Jesus, the Word, was. He just was. He existed. <laughs> but these other things are coming into being. So, all things became or came to be through Him. Him who was. Him who already was. Him who already was face to face with God. And Him who was God. So there's this, this contrast between was, the idea of just, just existing, and becoming or became. So, all things became through Him who was. And without Him was not anything made, that is, nothing came into being, nothing became, uses the same verb there along with the negative, um, nothing became, that became. So there's not a thing that was made that was made apart from Jesus Christ. There's not a thing that became, or we could say it this way, there's not a thing that came into being that came into being apart from Jesus Christ. So John's saying, saying out, of, out of all things that came into being. Now, what does that include? Everything. That's what he says. All. That's the word all there. Panta. All. Angels. Human beings. Grass. Trees. Monkeys. Dinosaur, whatever it is. Everything that came to be, came to be through Him. And then in verse 4 he says, In Him was life. And I think what he's getting at here is He's, he's the source. He, all things were created through Him and He's the source of life. Just like, you know, when you think about, think about Jesus um, Let's think about one of his decrees for a minute, for one of his fiats, where, where he spoke. He spoke life into Lazarus, for example. He spoke life into the woman's son. You remember when he interrupted the funeral, they were carrying the, the, the beer, the, the casket by, and Jesus stopped him, and he spoke, and the guy got it. So, in him, that is, in the Word, 
of God is life. And the life, the life, was the light of men. Of men. And the word that's used there for men is, is uh, anthropos. You know, it's where we get our term anthropology. Um, it's, a, it's a generic term, so, it, so he doesn't just mean males, in other words. It's, it's like saying mankind. When, when, when we use the word, and when we still do that today, we use the word man or men um, generically, meaning human beings in general. That's, that's what that means there. In him was life, and the life was the light of mankind. All men, and it's in the plural, so men. In other words, he's saying everybody, all people. In him was life, and the life was the light of all people, of men, every individual. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. Um, let me just real quick on this, um, and there's a lot probably that we could... Well, there is. There's a lot to think about here in verse 4. But what is meant by the light? I mean, life is a little bit simpler, especially when you think about physical life. And you go back and you look at the creation account, and God, for example, creates Adam, and he breathes into his nostrils the breath of life, and he becomes a living soul. He's alive, and so you understand God is the source for that. And we read here, and, and we see that Jesus was included in that. In other words, He's the source of life. In Him was life. But then He says, the life, in Him was life, and life was the light of men. Well, what does it mean by the light? And there are different ideas here. Um, I'm going to give you a couple. John Calvin talked about it referring to the light of intellect. And I think that's certainly correct. I'm not, I don't think it sums it all up, but, but, uh, but that's certainly a part of it. The light of intellect, you know, what, think of it this way. Um, what sets us apart from the rest of creation? And, and another aspect of that would be uh, morality. You know, that the light of morality. We are moral creatures. And that's not true of any of the rest of creation. And I know you may be thinking, well, I know some people that aren't very moral. <laughs> well, well, yeah, they are. In reality, they are. I mean, they may have very bad morals, but, but they've got some kind of standard down there somewhere. And they understand to some degree right and wrong. Because, because we're made in the image of God, we're moral creatures. So, you know, you, I mean, you can slap me and you may not regret it, but, but you probably understand that that wasn't the proper thing to do. On the other hand, a dog can bite you and he doesn't have any remorse, you know, one way or the other. He does, he, he's doing just what his nature, what he's created to do, um, assuming he's trying to protect something or somebody. And uh, so he doesn't feel guilt in the sense that we do. Um, rattlesnake bites you, they don't, you know, they don't, they don't feel bad about it. All right? So, um, they're not moral creatures. Right? But, so I, so I think those things are built into this term light. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. In other words, it, it has to do with our being made in the image of God. Uh, it, it's hard sometimes to describe it well, but it, but it is what sets us apart from all of the rest of creation. You know, I mean, if we're honest, and some people aren't honest. I mean, there are scientists and anthropologists and, and uh, uh, you know, others out there, social, uh, sociologists that, that are, frankly, I think a lot of them aren't honest when they say that there's no difference between us and, you know, whatever it is, a cockroach or an ape or whatever it is, um, there's a difference. There's a difference. So I think that's what, what it has to do with, the, the light. And there are probably, I, I gave you a couple of aspects. There, there are probably, you know, you could probably name a lot more things that go into that. All right, but that's a little bit of it. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. That may be a reference to, a, a, you know, another aspect we should mention there is just the spiritual light. And there is a certain amount. It's just like the, the heavens declare the glory of God, right? So there's a certain amount of spiritual light 
that shines on everybody, and Jesus is the source of that. Now, they may reject it. They may totally misunderstand it, but it's, but it's there nonetheless. I mean, you, in fact, you see that in the Gospels. They would openly reject Jesus many times and even accuse Him of being of the devil. But the light that was emanating from Him, uh, it, you know, it, they, they were aware of it. I mean, they saw, for example, um, the miracles that He did. They heard the gracious words that He spoke. They knew that His teaching was unique. You know, He, he, he speaks like no other man ever spoke before. So... The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. It can't quench it. It can't put it out. It can, for, for a time, it can resist it to a degree, but it cannot quench it. Jesus even said of the church that the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. So verse 6, there was a man. There's that verb again. There, there came into being a man. When, when John speaks of Jesus, he just says he was. He just existed. He already was. When everything else came to be, he was. But now he speaks of a man, a mere man, John the Baptist, and he says, he came to be. He became. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. And again, that's John the Baptist. This is one John writing about another John. Verse um, 7, he came as a witness. That's the word we get our word martyr from. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through Him. He was not the light, that is, John the Baptist was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light, the true light. So we're still on this subject of light, and Jesus, the Word, the Lagos, is the light. John is not the light. He's just come to testify about the light, which is, verse 9 says, the true light. In other words, the Lagos is the true light, which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. That is, Jesus, the true light, was coming into the world, and He is the true light. Uh, or He is the one, rather, that gives light to everyone. Uh, again, there's a couple of ways of looking at that. You could say, well, what does He mean? He gives light to everyone. Everybody's not, He's not saying that everybody's going to be saved, is He? Well, no. Um, one possible way of interpreting that is He... he every, let me just say it this way. Everyone that gets lit... <laughs> gets lit by Jesus, okay? In other words, there's no other source... He's, he's the one, the one who is coming, the true light who is coming into the world, lights everyone. In other words, everyone who is lit is lit by Jesus. And if you're not lit by Jesus, you're not lit. That's, that, that, that's the idea, or at least that's one way of thinking of it. Another way is what I was saying just a moment ago. It may very well be true that He does indeed shine the light on every single individual, but not to a saving extent. It's, it's what, again, what we, what we call common grace. Everybody's exposed to the grace of God to some extent. Every individual that lives and breathes is exposed to God's grace, is a recipient of God's grace. Jesus Himself said that. It rains on the just and the unjust. In fact, He said um, we should mimic the Father by doing that. You know, and we, we should be good... Uh, bless those who curse us. Be good to the bad and be good to the good. You know, be good to the righteous and the unrighteous. Why? Because that's what your Father does, what God does. It rains on the just and the unjust. So He said, if you do this, you'll be like, like your Father, your Heavenly Father. So that's another way of looking at it. It may, just, it may very well mean that um, He gives light to every, every person. Every single person. That's certainly true about what I was saying a moment ago. Everybody's a moral creature. Everybody has what Calvin talked about, uh, what Calvin referred to as the light of intellect. doesn't mean they're saved. doesn't mean they'll ever be saved necessarily. It just means that they, have, they still bear the image of God. Marred though it is, it's still there. Verse 10, He was in the world and the world was made through Him 
what he just said in verse 3 and 4. The world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Didn't recognize our own Creator. Verse 11, He came to His own. Now, verse 10, He's talking, it seems to me, He's talking about the world in general. Um, he just, you know, in other words, He just, He came into the world. He left the glory of heaven. Philippians 2 says He emptied Himself, took on the form of a servant. So it's just a, like a, a way of speaking generally. He came to the world, but the world didn't know Him. And now He gets more specific in verse 11, speaking of the Jews. He came to His own, and His own people did not receive Him. And there will be more to discuss about that later. Jesus was a Jew. It's very doubtful. I remember I was sitting in a bar one time on break, and a couple of friends of mine were sitting at a table with me. They'd come out to hear us play, and... Uh, um, One of them, you know, it was, of course, it's dark and everything, but one of them kind of leaned across the table and looked at me like this, and he said, you look like Jesus. <laughs> well, you know what? Uh, part of his problem was, there were other things too, but part, part of his problem is he's seen too many of these portraits, you know, that, that people stick around everywhere of a European Jesus with long hair, uh, kind of, whatever, reddish, blondish, or auburn, whatever it is, which was, you know, what I had, and a beard like what I had. And, and uh, he, you know, you look like Jesus. When the truth is, um, I kind of look like the way a lot of artists have portrayed Jesus. What I'm saying is here, Jesus was a Jew, and he probably didn't look anything like those pictures that we see. Um, he looks like, he looked like, most probably, what Jews look like. He was born of a certain ethnic group. That was God's plan. He had a people. Ethnically, he had a people. The Jews. He was, he was of the seed of Abraham. Son of David. So that's what it means by his own. The Jews. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. That is, generally speaking. Now, now remember this too. What's the first church made up of? What are the disciples? What are the twelve? Jews. So it wasn't that every single Jew rejected him, but generally speaking, the Jews um, rejected him. As a nation, they rejected him. Now, verse 12, "...but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God." Now, John was supposedly written, the Gospel of John that we're looking at here was supposedly written around, um, well, something that was before 70 A.D. But anyway, around that, you're talking late first century. Uh, a lot of, a lot of uh, uh, scholars argue for after 70 A.D., but uh, some believe before. But still, you're talking late first century. So John's looking back as he's writing this. Uh, I think... When he says, all who did receive him, but to all who did, so his own people rejected him, but to all who did receive him, John's probably thinking back over the years now and thinking, meaning by all, not only Jews who received him, but Jews and Gentiles. In other words, kind of like saying, regardless of ethnicity, everyone who did receive him who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. And that word right there is really uh, <clears throat> the Greek word for authority. He gave them the authority or power to become children of God. Those who received Him, those who believed in His name. Who were born. That's now, end of verse 12 is not a period. He's, he's in the middle of a thought. And I'm about out of time. I'll try to do this quickly. Who were born, that is, in other words, those who received Him, those who believed, were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So, John's saying, those who did receive Him, who believed on Him, who were given the right or the power or the authority to be, become children of God, 
were the product of a new birth generated by God Himself. <laughs> and, he, and He makes that crystal clear here. Who were born not of blood. In other words, this new birth has, has nothing to do with ethnicity. It has nothing to do with lineage. They're not born into God's family because they're a Jew or, or anything else for that matter. So it's not of blood. It's not your bloodline. It's not genetic. So he scratches that off the list. That's not how they became children of God. That's not how they received the right to become children of God. Not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh. Now that's, that's a pretty, that kind of phraseology is pretty common in the New Testament to describe fleshly lust. Which, by the way, is not always a bad thing. I mean, we think the lusts of the flesh are desire. Let's say it this way. The desires of the flesh, the will of the flesh, I mean, you, you can even um, think of things like uh, the, the need for the desire for food and so forth. That's that's still a you know a, a need of the flesh. But here, yes, here it's talking about um, procreation. So it's talking about by means of procreation, the will of the flesh, the desire of the flesh. So he's saying this new birth. The way that they became children of God, the means of being born, it's not according to bloodline, nor the will of the flesh. In other words, not, not, it's not, again, the product of physical desire. And he scratches that one off the list. Nor, he goes on, nor of the will of man. It's the same word for will here, the desire, will of the flesh, will of man, desire of man, the desire of flesh, desire of man. So it's not according to the lust of the flesh, you know, the desire that leads to the act of procreation, nor of the will of man. Now, I mentioned earlier um, when it says he's the light, of men in verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. That word men is a generic term for man, anthropos. So it's like saying mankind or human beings. It, in other words, it's not restricted to males, it's male and female. But that's not the case in verse 13. He says, nor of the will of man, he uses the word for male, the Greek word for male there. Because customarily, it would, would have been you know, the, the man that would initiate the act of, of sex. So he's saying this new birth, this, this generation, this becoming a child of God, this being born in this sense, is not the result of a decision of a man to create a new you know, a new birth, to, to create a birth. So he scratches that one off the list. You don't become a child of God by lineage. You don't become a child of God through the desire of the flesh. You don't become a child of God through the desire of a man who wants to procreate and produce a child. That's not how children of God are produced. And then he gives... The answer, but of God. Will is implied there. So he's already said it's not of the will of the flesh, it's not of the will of man. And so the word will is implied in this last phrase. But it, In other words, but it is by the will of God. So what he's saying is, those who received Him, those who believe in His name, to them He gave the right to become the children of God, to them who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. He's saying this is a different kind of birth. It's a new birth. This is a generation that does not 
result from a, a male and a female coming together. This is a generation that is the product of the work of God solely. You and I are here physically as a result of a man and a woman coming together. But that's not how we were born into the kingdom. It was through God's will, through an act of God, that we became children of God, or that we were, as he says it here, given the authority to become children of God. And the Word became flesh, verse 14, and I'll move through this part quickly since we covered it this morning. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John, John the Baptist that is, bore witness about Him and cried out, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after Me... He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. That was the testimony of John. John John the Baptist was the cousin of Jesus and he was six months older than Jesus and he's bearing testimony to Jesus by saying, He came before me. He was before me. He comes after me, but he was before me. Isn't that interesting? Verse 16, now the Apostle John speaks again, far from his fullness, that is from Jesus' fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Now keep in mind here what he has just said about how we become children of God. And then, again, he throws in, he talks about him coming in the flesh and we see his glory full of grace and truth. And John bore witness of him. And now he says, from his fullness, reflecting back on verse 14, we saw his glory full of grace and truth. From his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Now literally, that can be rendered grace Instead of grace. Grace replacing grace. Grace instead of grace. Now what in the world does he mean? Grace instead of grace. From, from Jesus' fullness. From the, from the fullness of His glory. Glory full of grace and truth. We have received grace instead of grace. For, and here's the explanatory statement. Verse 17, for the law was given through Moses. That's, that's a grace. That's a grace. We don't, we don't think about that a lot of times. Why, why, was, why was the law given to the children of Israel? Grace. Grace. That was a manifestation. That was revelation from God. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make an idol. shall remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. You shall not commit adultery, and so forth. That was, that was revelation from God. That's great. By His grace, God made Himself known to the Jews by grace. He gave them His Word by grace. He sent them judges and kings and prophets by grace. But now, John says, the fullness has come. That's, that's implying that those things were in part, they were partial. They were looking ahead. They were types. They were shadows. But now the fullness has come, and from His fullness we have received grace instead of grace. Our grace replacing grace. So there's a fuller manifestation now. In fact, let's just say it this way. There's a complete manifestation now in the person of Jesus Christ. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. What do you mean, John? Well, he says, no one has ever seen God. But you know what? 
the only God who is at the Father's side, the one who already was in the beginning, the one who was face to face with God in eternal, loving, perfect union, perfect relationship with Him, the one through whom all things were created, the one who is life, who has life in Him, and whose life is the light of men, the one who lighteth every man, the one who comes into the world. That only God who is at the Father's side has made God known to us. He's replaced a grace. The grace of the law. And the grace, all, all the graces given to the children of Israel in the Old Testament and other partial revelations that were given not only to the Jews, but to Gentiles as well at times. He's replaced those partial graces with the fullness, the express, His express image, the brightness of His glory, the writer of Hebrews says. Hebrews 1.3 Jesus Christ, the only God who is at His side. He has made Him known. He is the one who has made Himself known to us and given to us through faith in Him, through belief on His name, through receiving Him, has given to us the authority to become children of God. He's made God known to us. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank You for Your Word and, Lord, for these amazing truths. Lord, we thank You for Your revelation freely given to us in Your Word, in the person of Jesus Christ. Lord, we're thankful for Your grace manifested in the life and death of Jesus. Lord, help us as we go through this week to chew on these things so that we may come to a greater appreciation of Your salvation work, redemptive history, all that You've done in our behalf. Lord, so that, so that we may truly be in awe of You and all that You've done in our behalf, so that we may stand amazed by Your love for us and Your willingness and even eagerness to save. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.